Hey, so um, we're so glad you're here at church this morning. We really have been praying a lot this week that this would be a sacred place, a sacred time, and, and I really, I'm really excited. I get, I get excited about certain Sundays, and this is kind of one of them. I really think this is going to be a sweet time. <laughs> but first, I want to play a game. Um, <laughs> I'm going to play a video here, and it won't have any sound. Um, it, it's a video of two teams throwing ball at basketballs around one team in white shirts, one team in black shirts. I would like you to count how many times the white team, the team with the white shirts, throws the basketball and, and, and catches the passes. Okay, go ahead and roll that tape, please. Okay, um, go ahead and raise your hand if you got the number 16. Go ahead and raise your hand if you got 16 times. Oh, really? Okay, not many of you got 16. Keep your hands up, keep your hands up. Ra or raise your hand if you saw the giant gorilla walk across. Okay, that's good. It's actually like 40% of people actually miss the gorilla completely, okay? Now, hold, hold on a second. Go ahead. In fact, yeah, there, a, a giant, if you missed it, a giant gorilla came and pounded on his chest. Go ahead and play that tape again. You'll see it here. Watch for it. Okay. Now, go ahead and raise your hand if you saw the giant gorilla walk this time. Yep, good. Everybody's raising their hand. Okay, okay, keep your hands up. Raise your hand if you saw that the curtain changed colors in the background. I want to see this. Oh, interesting. Okay, raise, keep your hands raised. Raise your hand if you notice that one of the teammates from the black-shirted team left. This, anybody? Oh, a couple of you. Man, we got some smart people here. Watch this again. Put it on again, Nick. Like halfway through, and you'll see there's a shift in the curtain, and then it's like now that you see it, how can you miss it, right? One of those things. Okay, now how many of you saw the giant aircraft carrier go across the screen? Okay, just that's a joke. That's a joke. Okay, uh, so this uh, this video was made by a group of college students who wanted to illustrate. What's called in psychology, and I, I know I pull these terms out like I know what they are before I Googled them last night, but here, like, it's, it's a term called inattentional blindness. And inattentional blindness is this. We'll put it up on the screen. It's failure to notice a fully visible but unexpected object because our attention was so engaged on another task, event, or object. You know, like you're so engrossed in something over here, you completely miss something obvious over there. And it actually, like in this study, it's, it's about visually, we don't see, we literally don't see everything that our eyes see. Our brain does not process everything our eyes see, that there are times where we have inattentional blindness and we completely miss something. That's why texting and driving is like so dangerous, like because we can literally like that's that's inattentional blindness is like, oh, I can see what's going on here. But you, in reality, your brain, if you get focused enough on one thing, actually blocks out what it sees over there. And then bad things happen. Another way that you could describe this, uh, I was thinking about is like it's like tunnel vision. You know, have you ever gotten tunnel vision on something? Like, all you can think about is this project or this, this thing over here, and then you just completely forget her birthday or you forget that this is going on or whatever. Like, that, that's, that's what happens when we get that type of tunnel vision. Now, here's the deal. Today, I have no desire to talk about, what is it, inattentional blindness. That's not what I want to talk about at all. What I want to talk about today is busyness. The state or the condition of having a great deal to do, being busy, right? 
always being on the move, going nonstop from dawn till dusk, day after day, week after week, so on and so on. I want to talk about busyness and the effects that come along when we get so busy, it becomes unchecked, unbridled, and we have these, these pockets of time that are just unbroken busyness. And this is, a, this is like, honestly, this is for all of us. The, this is not just an adult problem. And this isn't a, like, you know, a thing that happens when we're adulting, right? This is like, honestly, I've been amazed watching my kids um, who are in elementary school. All my kids are in elementary school. And it's like, you get to grades like third grade, and they're like, man, third grade's really tough. They really, you know, pile on the homework. I'm like, they're eight. You know, like it's, it's a reality within our culture right now. No matter what your age, no matter rich, poor, big, small, student, professional, mom, dad, all of us are prone towards this, this um, busy, like busyness. And honestly, if we're really honest with ourselves, we're drawn to busyness. If I'm honest with myself, I'm drawn to having a really full schedule. There's something about it that makes me feel good. I was reading an article this week that, 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 that busyness is actually just is, is laziness and also vanity. It's a, it's a mix between the two. It's vanity because us being, like, like in, in our vain nature, we, we think that we confuse busyness with importance. Oh, man, I can't make that because I got this and that. And I'm so sorry I'm late. You know, I had this and I'm, I'm, I'm triple booked, blah, blah, blah. And we feign this idea of important, like it makes us feel like we're important. And the reality is it doesn't make what we're doing actually important. We could be, you know, doing like really unimportant things, but we get enough of them and it feels like they're important. Have you ever done that? Like, I've always gotten a kick out of talking to people. I'm going to dog on people who are, like, in the retirement age that are like, man, I've been so slammed lately. I'm like, do what? You don't have a job anymore. Like, you're paid to do nothing, and you have, like, no time. You know, like, like, like this, you're just, we're just busy. That, that's, that's us. That, that we're, we have to recognize within ourselves that we're prone to and sometimes even drawn to that idea of, oh, man, I'm going to keep things rolling. And then as to bring in what we talked about last week, we talked about diversions last week. For some of us, it's a coping mechanism. We keep going. We keep busy so that we don't have to slow down and stop and think about what's going on. And, and here's, here's what I'm, I'm building today. Like, like I want to caution us towards busyness because I believe that busyness creates blindness. That, that unchecked, unbridled busyness over time has consequences to it, that, that it creates, when, our, when we get so busy that our focus and our attention, it start, we start to get fragmented, and we start to miss the gorilla walking across the screen. We start to miss the obvious things in life. We miss, the, we miss the important for the immediate. We miss the lasting. We trade the lasting for the loud as we respond to the loud things in life, we're focused on the de deadlines and the due dates and the to-dos. And then on top of that, then we get done with everything that we have to do, right? And then we've got this huge pile of things that we want to do. And we put that into our schedule, the trips, the get-togethers, the hobbies, the ski passes, the go on and on and on. Because we're afraid. I, I, think I think busyness is also fueled by fear. Fear of missing out. Fear that we're not going to get to do what we want to do. And so we just keep driving. And no doubt we're moving forward. 
and we're getting things done, and we're driving hard, and we're driving fast, but the question is, are we driving where we ultimately really want to be going when we're that busy? See, we're in this series called The Principle of the Path. And the path, the principle of the path is, is simple. We said it like this from, from day one. That direction, not intention, determines your destination. That the direction that you're actually heading in life determines where you're going to end up. Not your intention. You, you might desire to have a certain type of financial freedom or a, a certain type of marriage or be a certain type of parent. But none of the, like, those desires, unfortunately, don't add up to actually anything unless we're heading in the direction of those desires. And in, like, this is true direction, that, that our direction, not intention, determines our destination is true, um, not only in the navigational world, but in, in life, in every area of life, financially, relationally, physically, and even spiritually, and that's really where I want to hone in on today. See, see, all of us have been so busy, and, and this is where busyness comes in. I think that busyness actually is a path. That the, when you put it all together, when you get so busy that you're go, 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 and then there's no time, there's no margin, that that's actually a path. And, and not only is it a path, not only are you going down a path, you're going down that path really fast, <laughs> driving towards there. And the question is, is where, we, where will that take us? Will it take us to where we ultimately want to go? See, some of us know, like you're thinking about things. Yeah, I've done that. I've blown right past really obvious things, really important things. And, and some, of, some, of us, some of us are doing it right now, and we actually have no clue. Some of us have done it. We've blown right past, you know, like the, they, they, they grew up, and the kids are gone. And it, uh, the, you know, time has gone by, and, and, and all of a sudden, they're grown. And you never did fill in the blank. And, and some of you have noticed that. Some of you are just, you're, you're still driving. You've, you're not even noticing that the years are going by. And they're fully visible. It's right there in front of you. But you're so busy, the busyness has created a blindness. But some of us are on the flip side. We, we know we've blown right past things. We've missed opportunities. We've missed time. And, and, and there's time where, like, we get, and, and all of a sudden, um, we're, we're older, and we're further away, and, and with that comes perspective, and we start to say, oh my goodness, what was I thinking? And the answer is, you weren't. <laughs> we weren't. We weren't thinking. We were busy. It's really hard to think when you're busy. There's no time, because the next thing's coming. We weren't thinking. We were responding to the urgent, to the request, to this, to that day after day, week after week. And as a result, we miss the obvious. And as a result, we definitely miss the subtle. You know, we, we miss, miss, maybe miss the gorilla, but we definitely miss the curtains changing from one color to the other. And see, I think there's a lot of life within those little subtle things. The subtle things are what make life good. All of this because we were too busy to see it. My friends, Busyness is a path away from the things that we desire most. What happens next in communication is called an abrupt transition. It's, it's, it's like literally, it's just not a good, I, I don't have a good transition here. <laughs> I literally have that written in my notes, abrupt transition. 
Because ultimately, like, because you're, you're right now, you're thinking that the message is going one direction, and, and it is. It's, it's about busyness, but I want to, I don't want to talk about busyness and how it affects our relationships and our friendships and our family and our kids. We've preached on that before. We'll probably talk about it again. I really, in preparation for this, this sermon, I really felt the need. I want, to, I want to talk about the effect of busyness on a relationship specific, with one specific relationship, a relationship with God. I think that, that busyness creates blindness to, to God. I think busyness, honestly, I think for most of us in the room right now, I almost said all of us, but I'll, go, I'll say most of us, I think the number one hurdle between us and the connection with God that you and I really true desire is actually one simple thing. We're just too busy to maintain that type of connection that we want. I, I, honestly, then this is, this is for the person who's new to faith or exploring faith as much as it is for the person who's been a Christian for forever. We're all in jeopardy of blowing right past, and it sounds funny, but missing the God of the universe. Like, like completely just missing, getting so preoccupied with so many things that we just miss God completely. Because one of the things that I've learned is the path with God, and if you've been a Christian for a while, maybe you know this, like the path with God is punctuated by things like Sabbath, reflection, prayer, meditation. It's a path that literally says, nay even shouts, less is more. That in this culture, we're like, go, 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 and get, 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 get. Like, like the, the, that God is, is, standing, is, is standing subtly in the background saying, slow down. And he's inviting us into a relationship with him that, can, that, 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 that is not possible when we are frantic. Because God is found in the quiet places. If you've, been, if you've been a Christian for long, if you've, think about this. Think about the times in your life, if you're a person of faith, where you felt connected to God. And what was, the, what was that like? Was it really crazy? Was it frantic? Or were, was your soul quiet? Were you still? I'm guessing it's the latter. I know it has been for me. See, this path that, that we follow God on, it doesn't just suggest <laughs> quietness. It demands deliberate withdrawal because God is found in the quiet places. The noise of the busyness can make us so that we never visit those quiet places, that we blow right past them. Why? Why would God make it that way? I was thinking about it this way. I think it's because he has too much class to scream over the noise. He doesn't want to feel like he's in competition or that he has to one-up the, the noise that's in our lives. But he patiently waits for us 
to come and draw near to him in the way that, that, that is honestly the way that we're, the reason I think that, that quietness is so important is because I think he created us for it. Our souls are meant to, to be quiet. Our souls are made for it. And when we choose to do that, we walk with him. It's like going on a path with him. And we invite him in. And he reassures us that, that those who seek him, that those who seek him will find him. <laughs> that those who seek him will become, they have the right to become children of God. And, and that's, I was thinking about it again this week, like, that's Moses' story. Solitude in the desert for years. And all of a sudden, he sees this burning bush, then that just changes his life. You, you've got Elijah. Some of you might be familiar with Elijah's story. They're like, everybody's pounding on him, like, where's your God? Where's your God? Where's your God? And he prays, and then fire comes from heaven. And then something bad happens. He runs away, and he's really discouraged. Like, he's super down. Like, so, like, like if, you, if, you're, if you've struggled with darkness or depression, you, like, like, read some of the stories of the Old Testament characters. There's some, there's some down. They are down. They want to end their life. And Elijah's at the end of his rope. And there's all of these, this crazy wind, and then there's fire, and then all of a sudden, where does God show up, if you, if you know the story? In a still, small voice, Elijah. David, you read David's psalms, and you get the idea that a lot of those psalms were written in caves. Times where he was alone, he was, he was in, 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 a, in a tough spot, and he cried out to God, and, and got, that became a, a keystone part of his of his faith, and even down to Jesus himself. We see Jesus time and time again retreating from the crowds, the crowds that he came to be with, right, the, the, the people he loved, to be with the Father. After, like, right at the start of his ministry, right as things are about to really get going, what is the first thing that happens? The Spirit draws him out into the desert for 40 days, 40 days. This is the Son of God. He had a connection like, like, like that, we would, that we longed to have, and that connection included time to get away. See, I want us to, I want us to look at a parable today. Again, this is, dang it, this is another abrupt transition. Roll with me on this, please. Like, like what we're going to do today, we're going we're gonna to look at a passage of Scripture um, that the, a parable that Jesus taught. And I'm going to go quicker through that than I usually do when we go through the scripture because at the end of it, so last week I talked about um, diversions and the idea of like the, the, the best way to, to handle diversions is, is instead of to go towards the things that are maybe unhealthy diversions is to walk towards God and find refuge in him. And somebody pointed out like, hey, Josh, um, you said that, but you, you didn't tell us at all what that was like, how to find refuge in God. So guess what we're going to do today? We're going to do an activity that embodies finding refuge and taking refuge in God. We're going to go through a passage and, and read, it, read it through. We're going to do something a little bit differently than, than our typical sermons here. And we're going to give you a chance to, to really take refuge in him, to quiet your heart, because you can't just talk. I can, I can fill this with words, or I can give us a chance to be quiet, and I thought that that would be better this week than just talking. But I want to look at a passage today. It's just a parable. That, it's one of my favorite parables. No, it's my favorite parable. I found it years ago, and it kind of stuck out like a sore thumb to me. 
It's found in the Gospel of Luke. And Jesus is, is talking to some people, and he tells this parable. And this parable, to me, is different than any other parable in, in, in that, that Jesus tells. Part of the reason why is you'll notice, like, there's, in this parable, um, there, there's nobody, run, there's, there's no prodigal son. There's no rebel. There's actually no antagonist or villain of any kind. And yet a whole bunch of people miss God in this parable. It's found in Luke 15. And the setting here is Luke, or Jesus is hanging out, did I say 15? Make it 14. Jesus is hanging out at a Pharisee's house. And Jesus is doing what Jesus typically does. He's, he's, he just told kind of another parable about the kingdom of God. That was his main theme, his main message. He was talking about the kingdom of God. I mean, if you hung out with him long enough, you, you knew like he came to tell the people around us and to tell us what the kingdom of God was like, what his way of life was, what God's, what, what God's plan for the world was, God's kingdom, kingdom of God, kingdom of God. Of heaven, And one of the Pharisees kind of pipes up, and this is in verse 15. He says this, When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Well, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. You're like, hey, you know, like you keep talking about the kingdom. Blessed is the one who's going to get there, right, Jesus? <laughs> which, which left the door really open. For Jesus to answer, okay, so who gets to go to the kingdom of God, right? Like, whatever Jesus is about to say next, you know, like, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast of the kingdom of God. Pregnant pause. Jesus says this. A certain man was preparing a banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he said to his servants, tell those who had been invited... Uh, he said, tell, uh, I'm sorry. He sent his servants to tell those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. Now, anytime you read a parable, parables are designed for you to put yourself into them. Every parable has a God figure of some kind. So you find out, okay, this, you know, this is who God is in the parable. And then um, there's, there's a component of it. Where, okay, where do I fit? What kind of seed am I? What's my heart like? Is it, is it one that grows and then dies quickly? You know, like the parable of the sower and the seed. And in this one, so the, 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 the certain man is God. A certain man was preparing a banquet. A banquet, in this case, I think it's pretty obvious, is his kingdom. Right? The man just said, blessed is the one who gets to feast in the, the, the banquet of God, the, the, the kingdom of God. So this is God's kingdom. Um. And the guests are, guess who? <laughs> they're us. They're, they're, the guests are Jesus' audience. So a certain man, God, was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. And the time it came for the party, and he's, he goes and says, all right, every, he opens the doors, come on in. Go get the, the guests, verse 18. But they all alike, they meaning the guests, they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have bought a field, and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen, 
sweet dude, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. And, and see, this is, to me, like when I read something, like sometimes when I read things that are distant um, or ridiculous to me, like I just don't understand them in Scripture, like I'm like, it kind of like bothers me and I have to try to figure it out. This is perfect. Because when we read this, I think that's the point. Jesus' audience, they might have been a little bit more familiar with like, you know, what it's like to buy a field, never bought a field, you know, or buy oxen, never, okay, maybe a couple of you have been, you know, stock shows going on right now, <laughs> I guess you could go buy oxen, but like, I doubt that's what you're going to be doing today, but like, that's just, it's foreign from us, and it's seeing, and because it's foreign, things that are foreign to us can oftentimes feel silly, right? Like, why is that so important? And again, whereas the readers and Jesus' audience, as the listeners, you have this perspective. That it's, it's them in the parable, and they, like someone's going to be a fool, right? Someone's going to play the fool. And you're like, oh, man, you guys are going to miss the banquet for oxen? And here's the, th- here's the thing, man. I could translate this. I could be like, and the other one bought a Tesla, and they're like, I got to go see that if it really goes 2.9, you know, 0 to 16, 2.9 seconds. Like, I got to go see it. Like, like it, we, can, we can put it in today's terms. And to, to another reader, to another person in another culture, to, to a person who's like maybe in their 90s, they'd be like, you know what? It's just, I know it's, it feels really important to you right now. But that stuff don't last. You know, like, like, like what's, what's great about a parable is we have perspective. And we're looking at these guys like, seriously, you're going to miss it for a field? Well, what we have to keep in mind is that field to that person, and this person probably never existed. Parables aren't, nece- aren't, aren't true stories. They're, they're made-up stories that have a, a true point. But what that person buying a field, that's, that's business. That's enterprise. That's opportunity, Right? Oxen could be the same thing. It could be a little more fun. Like, hey, baby, let's go take the oxen out for a spin. Like, seriously, like, somebody said that at some point in time 2,000 years ago. Like, you know? And we laugh. Why? Because we have the perspective. What we have to realize is there's something in your life and there's something in my life that's just as absurd, that we're just as excited about, we're just as busy with. And then Jesus throws another scenario into the mix. Verse 20, still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. And I love that this was added because the other two guys could easily be put down as shallow or consumeristic or workaholics or whatever, you know, like, like just way too into their hobby. But, but there's another guy, and he's like, well, I just got married. Like, like that counts, right? Like, I can miss the banquet because I just got married. Like, like, like newlywed Fred is like, hey, I've got a good excuse, right, Jesus? Jesus kind of like leaves it there. Is that a good enough excuse? Like to miss the banquet. See, all, the point with bringing in this third one is Jesus is saying nothing against oxen, nothing against the field, nothing against marriage. All of those are what? They're good things. But they're good things that are keeping the guests from the banquet. The servants, I'll paraphrase what happens next in the next couple of verses. The, par- the servants come back and report this to the master, and he's just indignant. He doesn't understand. He's like, I, I-, I just, I just want to have a party. How many of you have ever thrown a party 
and you throw it like the, the Evite, and you get it like 15 maybes. Oh, man, that sounds good. Let me check my schedule. Can you just say yes or no? Like, like, like God feels your pain. Like, seriously, this is God, you know, he's like, I'm there with you. Like, like it, what's so cool about Jesus' parables, half of them is just God, the, the God character, he just wants to throw a party. The dude just wants to party. He just wants to be with people. And they're like, uh-huh, sure, maybe, you know, we'll see what's going on. And like, come on, just commit to it. He's indignant. And he tells them, like, like go out and, and find anybody. You know, first it's like, you know, who gets to go to the banquet? You might read this parable and say, oh, you know, there's, a, there's an invite list. There, you know, like the, the, you have to be a certain type of person. And by the end of the parable, it's like, no, 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 no. Everybody's invited to this rich man's banquet. He wants to have the party. Look at verse 23. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and the county lanes and compel them, beg them to come in so that my house will be full. And he says this, but I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. Pause. Why not? Because they're evil? Because they had too much sin in their lives? Because they weren't chosen? Because they didn't believe in God? No, 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 no. They, they will not get to taste his banquet because they didn't come. They, they didn't show up because they were too, what, busy. When I read this parable a few years ago, I mean, I'm talking like five, six, seven years ago, it just jumped out of my page. And I, I like to write in my Bible a lot. And I wrote above this parable, Evergreen's Parable. And, and you know what's cool about this is like this, this parable, I've, I've thought about it so much over the years. This is actually the parable, the, the scripture verse that I preached on the opening day of Colorado Life Church in 2015. Because to me, it, it really summarizes why we exist. Because we want to be a church that for, for people, uh, the, the 90% of people <clears throat> who don't go to church in this town, who are out there right now doing good things. They're good people chasing good things in danger of missing a great God, in danger of missing the banquet, in danger of missing the, the best thing, like what they were made for in life. And, and they're, they're just blowing right past it. They don't even know that, like, they don't even realize that their busyness has created blindness towards God. And that breaks our heart as a church. And so we decided that we wanted to be a church that was built from the ground up with, with that person in mind in case they ever did something maybe consciously or unconsciously or they were forced to slow down and say, whoa, 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 what is this all about? And if they came to church, that we would be ready, that this would be a good place for them to be. Because we, like, this is, I, I think Evergreen's like, it's like, there's no villain. There's no antagonist. There's just a bunch of really good things to do. And 
yet we're in danger of missing a great God. Who gets to go to the banquet? Those who attend. Who gets, you know, you know who in life gets to be really connected with God? Have you ever known somebody who's really, it's just like they, they've got like this connection to God? And you're like, how did you get that? It's not rocket science. They, they're, not, they're, they're not too busy. My guess is with every person that you know that that's connected to God in a way that you're envious of, there is a quietness to their life. There is a rhythm in their life. You could even say there's a path in their life that takes them on a regular basis into his presence, into his goodness, into his grace, into his word. And they just keep coming back and coming back and coming back. And the good news is, that's it. The good news is, you're invited. The good news is it's not they were invited and they got to go to the banquet and they get this connection with God. No, 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 listen, listen. You're invited. You, you just need to show up. You just need to come. You just need to pause enough and create quiet spaces in your life to pursue God. And honestly, if you're the person that's like, man, God has, has, has been, di- I feel like God is distant. I would like more of his presence in my life. And maybe, like, maybe, maybe you've even tried reading books or reading the word. But, like, like, like honestly, I want to show you something today. We're going to do this here in just a couple minutes. A way to just really stop and allow the words of Scripture to come into your heart. Have you done that? Maybe you've been a Christian for a long, long time and, and your faith isn't what it used to be. What, when's the last time that you really just said, okay, you know, like this. This is time for God. Yeah, you, you go on dates with your wife and you have date nights and you have like special time with your kids and work. I mean, like work, we're really good at time blocking what we need to do to get what we need to get done, which we should. But what about God? Honestly, everybody... Think about the last seven days of your life. Did you create any space? Was there any time where you created space for him? Even if you're not a person of faith and you're like, I wonder, like, I, I, there's people that have faith and I, like, I, I don't understand their faith, but I kind of admire it. Like, if that's, if that's you, like, the last seven days, what have you done to seek him out? It, have you done that in your life? When have you done that in your life? When have you said, no, I, this is, I don't understand. I still have questions. I still have doubts. But when's the last time that you actually, have you ever looked at the person of Jesus and sorted through the, the, the beauty that he brought to the world? Even if you don't quite all understand it, even if you're not sure if you believe the, the, the scriptures, like, like have, you, have, you, have you, when's the last time, have you ever done that? Have you ever, like, really thought about him. And if you haven't, I think he's worth it. He's worth a shot. But we have to create the space. We need to create times. That pockets of time where we're, where we are able to, to, the blindness goes away, the blindness of busyness slows down. And I believe if we do that, 
we'll get a chance to see him. Ushers, do you want to pass out that sheet of paper? So this, from here on out, like, the rest of the sermon is, is actually you. We're handing out a, a, a piece of paper that has a psalm on one side, and we're going to read through that psalm here in a second. And on the other side, this is my gift to you today. This, this on the other side, it, it um, outlines a practice called Lectio Divina. Now, there's not a quiz on this. You don't need to know, like, you don't even have to remember what we call this. But Lectio Divina is, is Latin for, for, like, divine reading or holy reading, sacred reading. And it's Latin because this is a practice that has been done within the Christian church for hundreds of years. It's got, it goes back so far. Like, so today we join in something that has been, like Christians have been doing for, for maybe a millennia. It's, it's an incredible, incredibly old, beautiful practice. And it involves scripture. And the purpose is I want to give this to you because you can take this with you. And this, this is a path. Like doing this is a path. <laughs> if you do this this week, it's, it's your, this is your chance to push pause and say, okay, I'm going to pause the busyness and I'm going to reflect on God. And it starts with prayer and asking God to, to, to join you in that time. Lord, I invite you into the space that's the invoke portion. And then you pick a scripture to read. This can be any scripture. If, if you're not sure where to start, Psalms is a great place to go. Pick a psalm and read it to yourself. And as you're reading it, ask, what is this scripture saying? Why did, the, why did David write this psalm? Who was he writing to? What were they maybe thinking? Just start thinking about what this scripture is saying. And then you read it again. And maybe you read it a third time. Lectio Divina, like, we're going to do it. This is a crash course. We're going to do it in about six to eight minutes. I would suggest at least 15 minutes to up to an upwards of an hour if you try it at home. Give yourself space. Give yourself time. Read it through multiple times. Get to know it. And then think about it. Meditate. That's that third one. Make your brain work hard. I also read this when I was prepping for this, that, that honestly, um, meditation, that's, this, this is our time to, to invoke our imagination, to use our imagination within. God gave us that ability to imagine. I, I think he created us with that ability so that we can uh, use our imagination to, to, to think about him, what it means to be with him, what that looks like, be creative. So meditate, pick a phrase, um, Pick up, like, uh, in the meditation portion, what you're going to do here is you're going to pick one phrase and say, this is my phrase for today. And you just might say it over and over and over in your head. You might rephrase it in your own words. You, you, there's lots of things you can do to meditate. What's, what's cool about meditation is um, usually when we think of meditation, we think of Eastern religions. But meditation has a, a huge, huge role within the Christian tradition. It's, it goes way, way back. It's always been there starting with, with, within Judaism. And meditation, like, as opposed to Eastern religion where you empty your mind, in Christian meditation, yes, we empty our mind, we center it on God, but then we fill it up with the things of God. We put things into our mind and we let our minds linger on those. That's what meditation is, and it's powerful. And then we pray. We respond to him. 
You speak out to him your, your personal response or maybe you're, you're thankful, your gratitude. And then the last one, and this is probably the hardest one, is contemplation. This is a time to just stop and be still. Stop talking. Stop asking God things. Stop bringing things before him and just be with him. This is something that comes with time. This is like your first try at this. You'd be like, I'm not sure what I'm doing right now. And that's okay. Because contemplation takes time. And, and, but it's, it's a beautiful, when, you, when we can get there and just be with God, we're doing what we're made for. So let's try this. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read for the sake of time. I'm just going to start by reading. I'm going to read this out loud. And then I'm going to give you a couple, a couple minutes of, of silence to read it yourself, and then I'll transition this into meditation, and then I'll close in prayer. I thought about putting music behind this, and I decided that silence was really important. We're going to be comfortable in the silence in church this morning. And, and there's no doubt in my mind the result will be a sacred time and a sacred space. Ready? Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with surging. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms, they fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to end to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shield with fire. He says this, be still and know that I am am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress.